This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the BAFTA and Oscar-nominated sound designer of Baby Driver, Julian Slater. Find some funky on there. So here's the thing. I'm looking at some of the country's finest thugs, and of course, young Mozart in a go-kart over there. People love great bank robbery stories, so let's give them something bold and brazen as to talk about over their lattes. What's he listening to? Let me see. Tequila! Hi there, you're listening to an episode of The Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Will Mavity, and with us today we have a very special guest. We have the BAFTA-nominated, CAS-nominated, and now two-time Oscar-nominated supervising sound editor, sound designer, and sound re-recording mixer of Baby Driver, Julian Slater. Julian, how are you, man? I'm doing pretty good, thanks. How, How are you? I'm do- well, you know, you had some of my favorite sound design of the year, so <laughs> I'm doing pretty great to have you on. So, what has this season been like for you? You know, you, this is your this is your first big Oscar season, right? It is unreal. It it it's and and even just hearing you say two-time Oscar nominated, BAFTA nominated, and CAS nominated is still a surreal thing to hear. You know, um, man, I've spent I've spent the last. 40 something years watching the Oscars on TV and uh, always thinking to myself, yeah, I, and as my career has progressed, I have friends who've been nominated and won Oscars, but it's still been this far off other ecosystem where other people inhabit and I'm kind of watching from afar. Um, so to be part of it is, it's, it is, it is, it's as, ama- as amazing as you would hope it would be. For anyone who who's wondering what being nominated for an Oscar is like, it's it is it, it, it really is it uh, not just bec- it's just like there's such an, a great kind of outpouring of goodwill and love from people from my current and my past days who kind of contacted me to say well done. So it's 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 lovely. So that actually brings me to my first question. Kind of tell us a little bit about your past days. How did you find yourself? as this now acclaimed sound mixer and sound editor. So 
I, you know, I, I've always, so I've been doing this for about 24 years in total. Uh, I live in Los Angeles. I've lived here for, uh, we'll be coming up for five years in July. Uh, prior to that, I've spent my pretty much entire working life uh, in Soho in London. I always knew I wanted to get into sound. I, I, I was one of these kind of kids who would do tape to tape, cassette deck, kind of pause button editing and do little radio shows with my friends and, you know, always be involved with sound. And, you know, I grew up with a pair of uh, uh, Sony Walkman uh, headphones on my on my ears, you know, in the days of cassettes. So I've always loved music. So you're a real life baby driver. Real life baby driver. So I've always, I always knew that I wanted to get into a sound. And I originally trained to be a a studio recording uh, engineer. So I spent a year uh, learning the technique of miking up drums and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I kind of got sidetracked into TV and the film world. And uh, which I'm obviously very glad I did. And, um, uh, just a very quick, quick potted history. I uh, I went to I, I I went to work at a company called Dwarf Music Library in London and worked there for a year and a half. And then at the age of like 21, 22, I started a company called Hackenbacker, um, which was a post production facility. Uh, there was just two of us when we started, and there was when I sold and got out ten years ago. There were twenty six of us. Uh, then I was freelance for um, for a while in London, and then when I had the opportunity to come over here to LA, uh, I grabbed it with 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 grabbed grabbed it with both horns, to be honest with you, because I I had spent a long time from afar wishing that I could I could work in LA, primarily because of the I feel that you know I, I it was the place it's the mecca to go. It's still the mecca. It's it's very busy around the rest of the world, but I feel like L.A. still is Hollywood still is the it's the homeland of making movies, and also the weather is a is is a fair bit better than in London certainly you know, <laughs> at a time of the year like now. So so yeah, that's a, a very quick potted history of how I came to be um, here and doing what I do, I guess. So what film was it that brought you to London was or brought you to Los Angeles? Was it an Edgar Wright film? It, it was and it wasn't. It was going to be Ant-Man for Edgar. Uh, as soon as Ant-Man was greenlit for Marvel, I got job offers to come out here because Edgar had stated to Marvel that he wanted me to be his, you know, his sound guy, his, you know, his sound designer and his mixer. And uh, once I, I had a few job offers and, and took the one that I felt was best and then I found myself in, I think, you know, Edgar left the movie, I think with, I think it was only like eight or, I could be wrong, but it was, it was pretty close to the production starting, the actual shoot starting. And um, I found myself with a year's worth of work just disappear. That I, I mean, I knew that I, I couldn't mm. do it. I didn't want to do it once Edgar wasn't involved. So uh, I had this, <laughs> I had this kind of moment of, oh my Lord, what have I done? Because, you know, a year's, I, I, it, it, it was going to work perfectly. I was going to move to LA, do a big, huge Marvel movie, get straight in at the level that I was used to working at in London, and everything was going to be fine. But it just didn't pan out. And so I kind of started from scratch again over here because I'd left all my contacts and all my producers and my editors and my directors in London. And over here, no one knew who I was. No one, and to be honest with you, no one really cared. So I kind of had to start from Mm. scratch again, doing, you know, the odd TV pilot and low budget movies and 
just kind of work my way up again. And th thankfully, you know, Baby Driver has actually come along at a, at a great time in my career anyway, where after five years of kind of knocking on doors and working with, you know, various people, the repeat work is coming back round again because they dig what I do. And then, you know, between Jumanji happening and uh, and Baby Driver, it's 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 just kind of hit at the right point. So I'm very thankful for the timing. Can you tell me at all about what what Edgar Wright's Ant Man would have been like from kind of a sonic perspective? Because obviously Edgar Wright films are always very sound heavy, and I'd be fascinated yeah. to know what that year of work was like. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I mean, I have not watch the uh, i'm sure the 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 ant-man that came to fruition is a, a is not only a great movie but a great sounding movie because i know the guys that that do it um but what i can tell you is that the, the edgar had done edgar had even gone into research about how if you have an eardrum that is the size of an ant's eardrum how everyday sounds in our real world affect um you know how you perceive things so yeah you know i i yeah, it would have been a, it would have been it would have been an amazing movie, and uh, I would have you know it would have pushed me to the boundaries of what I can do. But then that's kind of what Edgar does every time anyway. You know, I'm very lucky. You know, Baby Driver is a sound orientated movie, <clears throat> I guess you could call it. But all of Edgar's movies are very distinctive for their sound. You know, it, he he's a director who, you know, what as I've just said, he, you know, he he. He thinks about sound at the script stage. You know, he he's aware of the power of what sound is capable of bringing to the table with regards to making a movie. So, every time I do a movie with Edgar, and you know, whatever his next project will be, I know that it's going to be something that I'm going to get really excited about because of the potential that he allows me to explore. So I. Tell me what it was like when you got the script for Baby Driver, because as I understand it, it's one of the only scripts ever written that actually factored all of the sound. And didn't he mention he would like it to be Oscar nominated for its sound when he gave you the script? Yes. Well, yes and no. So uh, the script that I saw did not. I don't recall it. And I, I think his first draft, which I didn't see, which he's subsequently since me being nominated he's released that said something along the lines of, you know, it was a mission statement saying this movie sound is integral to this movie. It should be, a, it should be nominated in one of two of the sound categories for a, an Academy Award. And that was his, that was part of his mission statement to, to get across to whoever was about to read that script, that sound was integral to it. <clears throat> By I, the script that I read did not say that on there quite, um, uh, thankfully, because I would have just felt this incre incredible pre pre pressure to, <laughs> to, to to get nominated. You must and be nominated. Exactly. Um, you know, he first he first told me about it when I saw him kind of socially, and I knew the the kind of the the genesis of what it was going to be. But the thing that he sent me was actually an iPad app. He had a he had an iPad app designed that was the script. And also played the music at the same oh time. God. So as you turned over the page, so for example, if you were reading the section that's the Harlem Shuffle one-shot tracking shot that you know as he's going to get the coffee at the beginning of the movie, that was playing the Bob and Earl Harlem Shuffle track out of the iPad, and even had some temp sound effects like some temp footsteps walking in sync to the music. So <laughs> yeah, he he you know I, he 
he not he wrote the script around the music cues that were used. He knew he assembled the music cues, knew what he wanted them to be, and then wrote each scene around. I mean, you know, around each song because he knew what he wanted to achieve. So, yeah, I, it's funny enough. Funny enough, I just gave a talk to a class a, a class of um, film students. You know, and some of them are budding sound people, and some of them budding uh, picture editors, and some of them were budding uh, directors. And I, I said to them, you know, I, people like me can only be as good as people like you. So please remember what, you know, what sound is capable of doing. And they, 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 they were doing a kind of a screening of Baby Driver and I talked them through some, some scenes. So, um, yeah, Edgar is one of those people. E Edgar is, is a director who, you know, not only being a genius across all the departments, you know, let, you know just for my little sliver, you know, he he knew what he wanted to achieve. How we achieved it was the thing that we kind of had to figure out from scratch. But he knew he knew he was at A, and he knew he wanted to get to B. It was just how we did it that was the interest. That was the the, the tricky bit for me. So that provides me a great transition. How did you do it? You're both the re-recording mixer and the supervising sound editor. So let's first off talk about the process of creating some of the sound effects for the film since you're the sound editor and then tell me a little bit about mixing everything together yeah so i should point out you know i i had a very talented team of sound editors it's not it's not just you know like anything you, you know um you're, you're you're supported by a great team so um you know when i first sat down on day one you know, Edgar gets me involved much earlier than any other director that I work with does. He gets me involved. I think I came on board on week three of the director's cut. So at that point, mm. he was still only half an hour into assembling his his first cut of the movie. And I remember seeing the first two reels and not really... I mean, I was just completely blown away by it. I was blown away because I could see the potential of what he wanted to do. Um... But I was also, and I, you know, I was genuinely kind of shaking. I was shaking with excitement because I, because it was something that I could see was going to be just this amazing thing that hadn't been done before. But I was also shaking with nerves because I didn't know how to do it. Because for as much as you see that is in sync with the movie, well, I mean, there's a whole variety of things. So going back to your original question, as a, as the sound editor, you know, it's the job of of assembling the myriad of layers of sounds and in this movie to, to try and syncopate as much of those sounds to the music at that given point that you're, you're watching. So for example, in the first sequence, um, you know, he starts singing in the car and then the bank robbery happens and the bank alarms are going off. Now those bank alarms are all in sync with the track that's happening, the John Spencer blues explosion as are, say, all the police sirens in that car chase sequence. Now, to map over the course of, say, three minutes, a police siren or various police sirens to, to work perfectly in sync and in tune with a music track that is, in of itself, its tempo is going all over the place. It's not just a constant one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's going one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And then it slows down. So to, to how you actually mirror that is something I did not know how to do and that's a kind of long and boring process about but you tempo map <laughs> the song and then you have to tell the once you know the tempo the tempo map of that song you map the tempo of the sirens to to that song 
but then what you're left with is a police siren that sounds musical sometimes and is mirroring the music that you're listening to but quite often it just sounds ridiculous as, as a sound effect it doesn't sound realistic because in real life police sirens aren't going <laughs> so there's a whole process of vetting each sound whether they work musically and whether they work uh, cinematically and whether they're believable and assembling that across the whole of the movie so that was kind of the, that was one of the main things that was the was the challenge is how you syncopate and and match and blend all these different sound elements to work with the various pieces of music and sometimes they'd be so musical like car horns we discovered if you pitch a car horn in time uh in pitch with the piece of music and in sync with the music it pretty much blends into the music to a point where you don't discern it as a car horn so then you have to make it less perfect so it still sounds in sync and in pitch with the music, but it's not perfectly musically in pitch. So as a supervising sound editor, you know, I run a team of like five, six people and we're spending all day, every day coming up with sounds. We went, we recorded all those cars, all those cars you see in the movie, we got onto a racetrack in Atlanta and re-recorded. And then we take all this variety of sounds. And even those those cars, you like the Subaru WRX, which is that red car at the first car chase sequence, you record it any which way you can and inside and out and mics on the engine, mics inside, mics on the uh, exhaust pipe. Uh, and then you get it back and you kind of realise it doesn't sound that great. It doesn't sound as, it sounds, it's got a thing called a dump valve. So every time it revs, it goes. Uh, and if you try to cut something <laughs> musically, it completely uh, breaks the rhythm of what you're trying to do. So we kind of threw out most of the Subaru WRX and then got another Subaru recording that didn't have the dump valve and used that as the basis. And then we layer up other cars that sound particularly great at a, per at a certain time. And on the car pass, when it blasts past the camera, we had like animal roars and we take whooshes and we design them from the scratch up from the ground up. So, um, yeah, as the sound editor, it's assembling a whole variety, thousands and thousands of sounds, which in of itself is quite tricky. But with this movie, because of the, the musicality of all those sounds, presented the kind of, that was, that was, the, that was the added layer of complexity to our, to our job. Now, what about the tequila scene, since we're talking about matching up sound effects with a specific sequence to the music was that one of the more difficult to pull off how did you make gunshots so musical well in some ways tequila was one of the easier set scenes because edgar had shot egg ed those gunshots were all uh filmed in sync with the tequila scene so um you know the script was written around the music cue tequila and on set they had huge speakers on set blasting and they rehearsed to um, the tequila s sequence and the tequila song. And they literally rehearsed it so that, uh, you know, John Hamm knew that the drum roll was going. And so he would fire the gun going bang, 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 bang. That's so cool. That that was that was. And then, of course, you you get this, you get the production sound back and it's no good. So, for example, in that sequence, we knew exactly the tempo of what we were trying to do, but we had to make the guns sound realistic as guns in the first instance, and then also make them 
sound as close to the drum track in the tequila sequence that we were trying to match it to. And then on top of that, we've got all these ricochets happening that are happening off screen that you don't see, but you hear them in the, in the mix and they are all timed to the tequila sequence. So you've got things on screen happening and then you've got a whole variety of things off screen that are happening in addition to that. So, but that was kind of one of the more, that was a, it, it, that was um, just, that was pure man hours. Not, not, that was, that was difficult in man hours because it took a lot of work, but it was an easy, it was a more obvious thing to do. There's other things in the movie that are far less obvious, I mean, less obvious, but were more tricky to kind of uh, crack as a sonic puzzle. So since there's obviously the question of, you know, when it comes to Oscar voters, a lot of the time it's in a tech category, making them realize just how hard it was to do what you had to do. What do you think was the single hardest Sonic puzzle? Was it the, the, the Subaru you mentioned or was there something else, a different sound effect situation? It's hard to kind of distill it down, to be honest with you. It, it was all <laughs> hard for, for every scene had its own set of everything had its own set of challenges you know like for example the story the 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 reason why baby listens to music so much or the main reason is because he suffers from tinnitus and we came up with the with the plan that if baby is not listening to music on his earbuds or music isn't playing within the environment say in the diner we wanted to have the sound of ringing in his ears but we realized very soon that that high-pitched ringing sound that you hear in the cinema, like on Saving Private Ryan, that works for 15, 20 seconds. But if you're going to have it throughout a whole movie, you're just going, it just, it's going to grate on the audience. So we had to come up with new ways of conveying tinnitus. So sometimes it is a high-pitched ringing if it's not too long. Sometimes it's a set of frequencies that are much lower than that, but they're in key with the outgoing music that it's, it's coming out of, or the incoming music it's going into. Sometimes it's held strings, sometimes it's brake squeals, a massive brake, you know, brake squeals on, uh, outside the window of, of the location he's at. So things, and also then the level that you hear them at, we were playing depending on how stressed Baby gets. So that as the movie progresses and his world starts caving in on him, they, uh, the tinnitus gets louder in the mix. So, all, you know, that's just like one little thing that we had to figure out a whole variety of ways to, to convey it to the audience because the, what we desperately wanted to do was have it so that the, it's a subtle thing. It's not something that is too loud or in your face or, you know, after 40 minutes, the one audience member isn't turning to the other and saying, oh, we get it. It's syncopated to the music. You know, all right, enough already. You know, we wanted to do it in a way that means, and I know that I know people are watching the movie multiple times and picking up on these kind of audio Easter eggs. So it doesn't really answer your question. Only I can only say that it was, it was, it was, it was just there were many, many audio uh, puzzles that needed kind of uh, deciphering, uh, and it's hard to pick out any particular one. So. Um can you tell me any more Easter eggs, though? Sure. What? Okay. What are you most proud of burying in the film? Um, I am the 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 one. Well, here's a couple. Here's a couple for you. Every car pass that you hear outside, let's say they're in the diner, or Doc is speaking to uh, Baby uh, 
uh, at his apartment in the lobby when he's waiting for the elevator, or in fact any car pass in the movie has been edited and laid to work in conjunction with uh, the dramatic event that is happening at that time. So if they're around the table at the diner and Bats uh, is being threatening and there's a pause in the dialogue, there will be a car pass there. All the car pass that you hear outside that normally you just lay as kind of fill, they are, they've all been laid to a specific place to help hopefully heighten the tension. And the more, for the, the more tense the scene is, the lower register of the actual car. So, uh, for example, a truck pass that sounds boomier and lower has got lower end to it, more bassier sound to it, will be happening when things of particular threat are happening. If baby's just trying to think of an answer to speak to to say something to someone, there will be a car pass that will be a lighter shade of a car pass. So that's the first thing. There are car there are car pass laced within the movie that are all tied to specific things. That's so cool. Was that Edgar's idea or was that you guys? Yeah, that's it. That's all comes from. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 Edgar and it's it's Edgar. Edgar, Edgar presents a, an amazing kind of infrastructure that allows people like me to go off and play and experiment and present ideas to him without fear of being rejected or being told that's just stupid. If you know that you've got a director who's up for great ideas, then it, it spurs you to have great ideas because there's no fear of falling or failing. I don't know which one that is, but um, <laughs> so and and Edgar and Edgar's done this. Me and Edgar, we have done this for you know in like Scott Pilgrim. We've we've had uh, in, in the bar when he's about to fight Roxy. You know he'll rub his eyes and uh, there will be a glass break or a bottle open happening at that time. Edgar's a big fan of playing diegetic sounds and sync being sunk to the to the action that's happening on screen at that time and doing it in a very kind of subtle way and subversive way, but it, it's there. Now, you mentioned you had some other Easter eggs buried within Baby Driver. You yeah. tell me a couple. What were some okay, of the Okay, so he, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Uh, when... Uh, one is maybe a bit more obvious than the other, but let me, let me, let me think of... Um, so when they... After the tequila shootout, they go back to Doc's hideout, and Doc starts off the scene by saying, Bananas! Whenever I hear... I have a code word that's bananas. So we did a thing there where every diegetic sound in the scene is then woven into the it's repeated in echoes and woven into the score so the scene starts with them coming out of the elevator and turning on a light switch that light switch that you see you see on screen and you hear ka-chink then is repeated ka-chink 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 and then is and then is woven into the score and carries on throughout that entire scene so, uh, so it starts off with oh this delayed echo of the light switch. Then, uh, I can't remember if it's Bats or Buddy. I think they both do at various times in that scene. Drop the bags. And those bag drops are then woven into the score. Could, ch- could drop, 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 drop. And then they come on top of the light switches. Then Doc gets out of his chair and there's a chair squeak. And that even that chair squeak is then carried on in delays and echoes and woven into the score. So by the time at the end of the scene, you've literally got this whole kind of, uh, and it's done very subtly, but if you listen, you can hear chair squeak, bag drops, light switches, all repeating and echoing into the score and working with the score. So that's, that's quite a funky thing that on the first listen, you may well not actually... Um, 
pick up on. But when you listen for it, you can hear it and you kind of go, oh yeah, that's interesting. So uh, there's one. And then uh, that's so cool. actually in the, in the tequila scene, when they drive away, they, can't, they, they get into a car and they come on, baby, let's go. They drive away. As they drive away, you see the car driving away and it drives through a puddle and that puddle splash is in time with tequila. It, the puddle splash goes splish splash and it's right on the dun dun of the music. So there's one that I don't think I've ever told anyone about. So have a listen, have a look and a listen for that when you next watch the movie. I will revisit that. That's awesome. Yeah. I think I'm. I think, in fairness, I'm the only person who knows where every one of those Easter eggs are. I'm, m- m- you know, Edgar knows a, a lot of them. My team know a lot of them. But as the person who coalesces everything, I think I'm the only person who knows where every one is. So I'll, I'll take those secrets with me to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to compulsively rewatch the film like it's the Zabruder tape or something, just to, to find all these details. Now, um. What were some of the weirdest methods you used to create sound effects? You know, you mentioned lion roars and cars. Did you use any other just bizarre things for stabbing sound effects or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the process of what I do as a sound designer is not an exact science. It's, it really is a question of throwing paint at the wall and seeing what sticks, you know. So, um, you know, take a, take a whoosh for a car past uh you know you you can start off with the most kind of mundane sound like a lion roar and then you know you could put it through a you know a tremolo a tremolo effect so you get a lion roar that instead of just going it's going and then you try and dopplerize it so it's going by taking the pitch and you pitch it down as the sound progresses. So you've got a, rather than being a constant pitch, like it's a So, you know, the whole thing is, is that every sound is manipulated in some way, shape or form. You know, in the very simplest terms, you're topping and tailing it and editing it to fit with picture. But, um, you know, every sound is customized to some degree with regards to you know putting it through a whole stack of of uh, software plugins, so you know you've got something that's adding the tremolator effect, and then you're pitching it down, and then you're kind of stretching it, or or shrinking it time-wise, um, and EQ and compression, and you know there's a whole variety of things, and it's and it's it's a it's an experiment. Each time you take a sound, you may have an, a rough idea of what you want it to do, but it's. It really is just up for experimentation, and quite often, it's the things that you don't expect to work that do work. I, I cannot imagine the man hours something like that would take. Um, were there any songs that Edgar had in mind that you guys worked to cut to the beat of that didn't make it into the film? No, thankfully, that was the lu- that was the one luxury we had because. You know, obviously, if you've got a chase car chase sequence that's lasting four minutes, and you're gonna you're gonna pin all those sound design elements onto that piece of music, if that piece of music is changed, it's a lot of work. But we knew that you know because Edgar had cleared all the music cues even before the shoot, nothing was changed. I know there were music cues prior to the shoot that he couldn't use, and most of them were kind of like hip hop tracks where they had sampled something and they they actually hadn't got clearance to use it 
so therefore Edgar could not use the piece of music because it contained an uncleared sample. But other than that, uh, all the music cues were pretty much locked in and baked in, which which gave us the. I mean, it, it, and you know, to your point, yes, it was a lot of man hours, but uh, we had the luck. We had the one luxury of knowing that the music cues were pretty cast iron and were not going to change. Now, speaking of music cues, uh, tell me a little bit more about collaborating with Stephen Price on this film. Well, Stephen Price. I don't know if you know the history of Stephen Price. St- Steve. Stephen Price. Stephen. I can. I can happily say Stephen Price is a very good friend of mine. He was a music editor. So he he did what I did, but with music. And for many, many years was a music editor. <clears throat> he then got asked to compose on a movie that Naira Park, who is Edgar's producer. In fact, I think Edgar may have been a producer on it. Um, this movie called Attack the Block for Joe Cornish. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Steve, that was Steve's first composing gig. And... Because of that, Steve then got asked to do a little film called Gravity, uh, which he <laughs> won the BAFTA and the Oscar and pretty much everything under the sun. So but Steve has become this kind of big Hollywood... Such a good score. Yeah, absolutely. And Steve has become this big Hollywood composer doing things like Fury and Suicide Squad and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the great thing about Steve is he's still just a friend of mine. And... Um, you know, I, I couldn't have done what I did without Steve. Uh, so, you know, I would speak to Steve every day and, you know, ask him advice on how you do things uh, or even send him stuff for him to work. You know, he I would send him that scene that I talked about earlier in Doc's hideout with all those diegetic sounds. That's 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 me sending Steve the sounds and him taking them and working them into his score. So... You know, true collaboration breeds the best results, and 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 it's true with Steve. Uh, it's true with Paul and John, Edgar's picture editors. Uh, it's true with Edgar. You know, it's no coincidence that Edgar's key people are all longtime collaborators with Edgar. You know, and you know, likewise, I said that uh, Stephen's a good friend. You know, I'd I'd pop to the pub. We, we, we posted this in London, so, you know, I would pop to the pub with Paul um, and John and we'd have a, you know, we'd have a, we'd have a couple of beers and talk about ideas and, you know, decompress, you know, over a pint and, and flesh out further ideas. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's great when you've got a team of people who trust each other and are happy to push each other Um like, and like I said earlier, without fear of failing, you know, when, when you know that, 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 that you're working with someone who really does want to, is more than happy to push the sonic boundaries, that then inspires you to do, hopefully, you know, bigger and better things. You know, in, in any kind of close-knit crew like this, there's always some just hilarious stories that come out of the production. To the extent you're allowed to tell me, what's the funniest story that happened while making Baby Driver? The funniest story that happened whilst making Baby Driver. Um, oh my lord! Uh, you'll put me on the spot there. I'd have to think about that. Let me circle. <laughs> let me circle. Let me let me see if I can think of that by the time we finish our interview, our, our 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 discussion, and see if I can think of that. Let me let me let me try. <laughs> Okay. My wife says I can't do two things at once. I'm going to see if I can prove her wrong and think about that whilst I'm talking to you. 
Well, now you have my expectations sky high. Oh, don't build it up. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about working with the product uh, from what you've consulted then with the production sound mixer for recording on set. What have you heard? were some of the most difficult achievements there? Because we're promoting all of the sound of Baby Driver, yeah. of course. Well, here's a funny thing. I only met Mary Ellis, the production sound mixer, via Skype last week. Uh, in fact, no, it was this week. It was earlier this week. And, you know, I I often say, you know, I'm, I'm aware how high-pressurised a shoot is you know on on every movie and i and i'm very lucky that i don't have to operate in that environment um you know mary did an amazing job of and there's there's very little adr in the movie um apart from one scene which you know she was never going to be able to uh record it for because we had all these um laundromat machines churning in the background in the laundromat and uh, they just made this incredibly loud noise because they were all on you know but Mar- Mary did this great job of not only re- you know recording you know the actors but you know she was involved with ble- you know feeding them the music throughout the whole shoot you know so Edgar would listen to you know they every scene the actors would be listening to the music that Edgar was shooting to so for example you know, in the tequila sequence, there'd be the, um, you know, every, there'd be the, the tequila song playing on loudspeakers. If Ansel was was in a scene and listening, had his earbuds in, those earbuds were customised to play the music that he was supposed to be listening at that point. Um, and all the other actors had earwigs in the whole time. So she had a huge job of, like I say, not only recording the dialogue um, to a spec that meant that we didn't have to loop anything, but also being responsible for the whole playback or being involved heavily with the playback of all those music cues so that the actors could walk, talk, and move in syncopation with the music. I cannot fathom how hard that would be because they did something like that on La La Land last year, but La La Land wasn't synced up with the music like that. That is absolutely insane yeah and it's it's interesting because you know people have asked me is it a musical or is it not a musical and i i'm kind of perplexed i think it is a musical but it's not (laughs) it's a it's a it's a new genre or a different genre maybe it is a new genre of musical it's i think it is a new genre (laughs) i've never seen people's heads get blown off in my musicals well exactly i mean nobody breaks out in song but everything is choreographed to the music that is playing, even to the point of, well, you know, we've delved into a, a bit of that, you know, uh, in our discussion today. So uh, someone described it as Car Car Land, which I thought was funny, a little play on La La Land. So uh, <laughs> I think that's, a, I think that's a, a, a nice description to kind of, if you want to try and pigeonhole it, that's what I would, I'd go with that. You should have petitioned Edgar to rename the film that in light of <laughs> La La Land being such a big hit last year. Did you, uh, were you involved in the Is It Slow song that plays over the end credits? No, sir. That is a Canadian DJ by the name of Kid Koala. So, um, he, he's done a few things for Edgar in the past and, um, all those mixtape things are done by a kid, uh, by Kid Koala and he did them prior to the shoot. 
So he knew what they wanted. Egan knew what they wanted to be, and um, they were done prior to the shoot. That that's all Kid Koala, and he's like a, he's known for all his music is literally sample based. So he just takes a bit from one song, pastes it into a bit of another song, and he just makes these makes these amazing kind of music tracks based purely on samples from other records and other and other songs. Now we're we're getting towards the end here, so there's only a couple questions I want to ask you more. Sure. First off. Um, what is one thing that you wish people would ask you more often about your work as a sound editor slash re-recording mixer and specifically about this film? What have you not been asked that you would like to tell somebody uh, about on your press circuit this award season? Uh, I put you on the spot again. <laughs> well, I'll... T- I'll t- I- you know, I, the, it's not a specific question, but there are scenes in the movie where there's an awful lot going on sonically that aren't necessarily picked up on. Like, you know, everyone mentions the tequila scene and the Harlem shuffle and, say, the first car chase sequence or the hocus pocus. But there are other scenes that, um, you know, like t- t- two two sequences. <clears throat> The diner scene when Buddy confronts after Darling's been shot, where Barry White's playing Never Gonna Give You Up. That sequence starts with Baby pulling up outside the restaurant and the crickets are chirping in time to the hi-hats. He turns the engine off. (laughs) The engine off is in sync, as is the keys out of the ignition that you, you don't see, but it happens off screen. The car door close as he gets out is in syncopation, as are as he walks through the two doors of the diner. They're on the bum bum bum. So those door opens are in sequence. And then throughout the diner, there are diegetic sounds that are happening to wrap up the tension that are nothing really to do with the song but they've been made to work with the song. So, for example, as Baby walks towards... Baby, uh, so as uh, Buddy motions for Baby to come and sit down, Baby starts walking towards Buddy and there's like a, a blender happening that's going... That's there to literally help wrap up the tension. Um, and that's something we did way back even on Shaun of the Dead with um, which Shaun goes to see his parents and we've got a washing machine doing a spin, fast spin cycle. And then it stops at the moment when the tension stops. So um, that's like a scene that nobody really picks up on because it's so subversive. And let alone you've got all this tension and it's Barry White's playing, (laughs) you know, the most kind of not, you know, the most kind of luxurious, uh, you know, love song that's going on. Um, And then things like, you know, the he's in the phone booth and... uh, uh, Rebel MC starts playing and he get he hijacks a car from these two these twins uh and you know even the skids as he's doing the 360 are sing- the the skid rather is being a constant it's a and the skid is happening in tempo with the tracks so the tracks going down to get down get down get down down to get down and the skids going <laughs> so yeah the, it's I think it's, there are standout scenes in the movie that people think are are the only scenes where you know this kind of uh, sonic uh, 
patchwork quilt is happening, but it's not. It's throughout the whole movie. That's all. the diner scene particularly. I had no idea. I'm, see, I have to rewatch this film now because this is yeah gonna blow my mind in a rewatch. Yeah, and there's also and there's also the car passes are heavy trucks, so they're low bass resonant sounds that that get through that music cue. Like she goes to pick up the coffee pot, and there's a truck that goes past right when she picks up the coffee pot. So. Yeah, it's it's nothing is in there by accident. You know, normally what you do is you kind of write, okay, here's a scene, here's a diner, let's find a track with some cars going past outside and we'll lay that and that will give a flavour of some cars going past. But that's not the case on this movie. Every single car passed, every single sound has been laid either to work with the music or with the drama of what's happening. <laughs> that's so cool. Um, you, since we are an Oscar podcast and... Uh, I have to ask, you've thoroughly convinced me that Baby Driver deserves to win sound mixing and sound editing, but what were some of your other favorite achievements in sound from last year? Well, I've been very careful. Not, I mean, here's what I think. I mean, I, 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 I would love, obviously, to win. I don't... I will see. I can't even, I can't even mentally go to that place. <laughs> I deliberately, and I know, I know the guys who both the sound supervisor and the mixers of Blade Runner, and I saw them at the nominee luncheon on Monday, and I said to them, "I'm not going to say to you what a great job you've done because I've deliberately not watched your movie because, um, I, you know, I'm sure they've done a great job." Um, it's hard because there are so many great sounding movies, you know. There are so many great sounding movies this year. Um, it would be hard to name them. I mean, you know, I I took my boys to sort to see you know the Thor movie, uh, and that was a great sounding movie. You know, the Marvel movies sound pretty damn great, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you know, here's the thing. It's it's even funny you mentioned you know Baby Driver and Oscars because you know when we when me and the crew did this movie, we felt that we were doing something that was not been done before and we felt it was special, and we felt that we were working on a project that was special. Um, but I finished it you know over just over a year ago now, and if I'd have had any, I to have any inkling that I would be speaking to someone like yourself a year later and be talking about Oscars, I just wouldn't have believed you. You know, because Edgar's movies are not... Funnily enough, Baby Driver is his most commercial uh, movie he's done out of all of them. Um, you know, I just didn't expect anyone to pick up on the, the work that we were doing. So it's it's been one of the best things about... Uh, it's been one of the best things about what um, this whole spirit experience has meant. It's I get to talk about the craft of what we do, which is quite rare. You know, people don't normally ask about sound on movies because they just assume it's a pretty simple thing. You know, they only notice it when it's bad sound. So when something like Baby Driver comes along, where non-industry people pick up on the sound, you know, the, I've had comments from you know I took my mum to see Baby Driver and she she was saying what a what a great sounding movie it was and how the sound was important. That to me is like that's like a that's just an amazing feeling so yeah i think you guys were i think this was the first film that i've spoken to people without really any interest in film that just random strangers singled out the sound i mean that's what stood out to this film since I, to me about this film since i saw it this summer 
And that that's what's so insane about it. Yeah. So you guys have created a Yeah, that's that's like lightning in a bottle, man. I mean that does not have I mean, like I say, I've been doing this for, for nearly twenty five years all in and whilst you may get the chance to do like one sequence that is sounds great but to do it across a whole movie where the point of the movie or certainly that one of the main thrusts of the movie is the sound of the movie that's just like you know i'll i whether i will get to work on something like that again i just don't know i hope i do and i'm not i'm not trying to sound defeatist or pessimistic but you know i'm aware that those things are rare so you know you've got to embrace you've got to embrace the idea and try and as much as you know it is beholden to me to edgar's got this amazing idea so it's beholden to me to help him flesh it out and and do it you know give it its best you know due diligence and it's make it sound as as cool as he wants it to so that's kind of that's that's my role. Now, do you, obviously you may not have another opportunity as rich as Baby Driver to create a sonic landscape for a little bit. But what's next for you? I don't know. I'm actually taking. Well, I'm planning to take like a couple of months off. Uh, I'm. I think I'm starting something in April. I wouldn't dare tell you what it was because in this industry, you, <laughs> and I have learned this to my detriment. The moment you think a movie is yours, something's going to happen where it's not, and it ends up not being. Um, he, a friend of mine told me he only puts his he only puts the, the the movie on his IMDb page the day he's finished it, and I think that's a very a very sound piece of advice. Um, what I can say is it's something that really interests me. If it, if it happens, it's an amazing director, and it's a director who cares about sound like Edgar does and I'm really excited to do it because it'll be something that's again uh you know a very cool sounding piece of cinema so hopefully it's going to happen and um you know I'm really excited for it you have my attention now on that (laughs) so we're coming to the end here have you thought of a story Oh, have I thought about a really funny story? <laughs> well, I, I here's a here's a funny story, uh, and I, I'm assuming he's not going to hear this. So the, the it, one of my crew members is this lovely guy, and actually I've known him since I first got into the industry, but I never never worked with him. And uh, he's and bless him, he kind of lives he li- he lives in his own orbit. And uh, we'd been working on the movie for, and the, the the joke was, you know, we'd be talking about, say, Kanye West, and he would say, who's that? Who's that then? And we were like, how the hell do you not know who Kanye West is or the Kardashians or whatever? And we were having lunch one day, and uh, I hope he's not, I hope, I hope he doesn't hear this. Um, uh, <laughs> but I, I tell the story affectionately, and we were having lunch, and we'd been on the movie for like two months. And Edgar had posted a photo with him and uh, a fellow director who looked a bit like Edgar. And um, uh, who directed... Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Anyway, so, so, so this guy says, who's that in the picture? And, I said, and we said, oh, that's the director of such and such. And he turned around and he said, who's that? And we said, well, that's Edgar. 
and bless him he'd spent so many hours working on his pro tools like he he was really responsible largely responsible for that whole brighton rock sequence at the end and bless him he'd spent so many hours working on the sequence like literally getting in at eight in the morning and leaving at eight at night that he'd never actually met edgar he'd he'd no idea who our, oh. who our director was and it was it was funny that not only does he not know who kanye west was but didn't know who edgar wright was but he was working on an edgar wright movie so I don't know. You can be the judge if that's uh, funny or not, but it was it was it it was telling it was telling of a bless him how in his own world he he is, but also how hard he was working that he didn't actually you know he was just so in the zone and working on that end sequence that it took up all of all of his all of his brain space. Well, I have taken enough of your time, so I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show and I wish you the best of luck this March and of course since you're a Brit this February with the BAFTAs as well. Um, I this was an incredible job and it was a pleasure hearing all about the way you spoke about the film. So, Julian, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm almost relishing the look on your face when you watch Baby Driver again and start picking up on the, on the little things I've told you. <laughs> and hopefully all of our listeners as well. Yeah. I, once again, this has been the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm Will Mavity at, at Mavericks Movies on Twitter. Feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and thank you so much for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.